Welcome to Volume Up, Uncovering Asia, brought to you by St. James's Place in Asia. My name is Batya Shulman, and this is the St. James's Place podcast for our new series, Volume Up, Uncovering Asia, with today's guest, Mary Barrett. To our listeners out there, this series is all about uncovering some interesting stories from clients, contacts and business partners across the St. James's Place network in Asia. Mary Barrett is based in Singapore and after a 22-year corporate career with Barclays and BMW, Mary started her own business in 2004, now named Mary Barrett Global. Mary is a mindset coach and podcaster. A cup of tea with Mary B, where she had conversations with ordinary people achieving extraordinary things. Mary is also a proud mother to two lovely young children. Today, we have invited Mary to our podcast as a mother, business owner, an expat in Asia to tell her story. Mary, welcome and thank you so much for joining us today. An absolute pleasure, Batla. Thank, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> so let's get started. I was hoping you could tell a little bit about yourself and, and how you found yourself in Asia. Okay, wonderful. I'm happy to. So I arrived in uh, Singapore uh, nearly 11 years ago, actually, in January. Um, arrived here in the January um, and left from Sweden uh, where it was minus 17 with snow to plus 34 humidity in Sweden, uh, sorry, in Singapore. And um, previous to that, I born and raised in the UK. So Sweden, Singapore, and been here nearly 11 years now. So absolutely adore it. I arrived as a trail independent, which I find a very demotivational title. Following my husband's career, I arrived with uh, no children, no dogs, no animals. And um, 10 years, 10, nearly 11 years later, I have two children, a very new puppy called Coco, which we just got last week, plus my own business. So yeah, it's been a very interesting, wonderful journey to Singapore. Fantastic. So Mary, tell us a little bit about your business. You're a, a mindset coach. Mm. What is a mindset coach? <laughs> Great question. What is a mindset coach? A mindset coach, what I do, I work with individuals to get to understand how their minds work. Because when you understand how your minds work, you can control your mind and get better results. So I help people really understand what their anxiety is, what their fears are, what their worries are, and where that conditioning and program has come from. And then I work with my clients to let them understand and reprogram, if you like, and rewire more self-belief, more self-confidence, and embrace their courage and those great emotional resources that they have to achieve successes in all areas of their life. And I think the difference of being a mindset coach is you're really doing deep transformational work with my clients to achieve successes, as I say, as a parent, as a worker, worker, as an entrepreneur, as an employer, as a leader, to really be the best version of yourself sustainably. Fantastic. And who would be a typical client of yours, Mary? Mm, great question. So I work with individuals, teams and organisations. So really people that know they want to be the best version of themselves and enjoy successes. So I have lots of leaders come to me, 100% of my business is recommendation. 
So I work with all different industries. I work with lawyers, doctors, science, tech, banking, accountancy, you know, lots and lots of different industries um, where people just want to say, how can we improve things? Because we know insanity is doing the same thing time and time again and expect different results. So actually, what is it that I need to do differently? And most importantly, how do I need to think differently? Because when we think differently, we feel differently. When we feel differently, we behave differently. When we behave differently, we get better and different results. Amazing. Okay, so I'm going to ask you something. I remember a few years ago, everyone was becoming a yoga instructor. <laughs> now, everyone I speak to becoming a coach. So what makes Mary B mindset coaching different and unique to all the other new coaches out there? That's a really great question. It's interesting. I had a new client approach me recently and they've done the research and I, I always ask the question, how do you find me? Because I'm always curious to how people find me. And he said, well, I knew you've been coaching for 30 years. And in fact, I thought you were actually coaching before it was cool to be a coach. <laughs> So yeah, because I started my coaching career in Barclays, okay. you know, in the late um, late 80s, early 90s, and I was um, coached, uh, trained to be a coach by Sir John Whitmore using the Grow Coaching Model, which is a great basic standard coaching model, but I knew it was making deep enough transformational change, and that's where I upskilled myself, and I got trained as um, at the highest level training, qualified in neuro-linguistic programming, which is really looking at the neuro and the neuroplasticity of our brain the linguistics, the language and vocabulary that we use, and the programs or habits that we run unconsciously on a regular basis. So I really know that that makes a significant difference. Interesting enough, I have actually been trained to be a yoga teacher as well. I spent, <laughs> when I was living in Sweden, I had a Swedish winter to, to, to challenge to go through again, or I, or I could choose three months in Byron Bay in Australia learning to be a yoga teacher. I chose the latter. So I'm very much, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a student of yoga myself, so I do bring in the breathing techniques, the understanding about the mind, body and spirit, that we're all connected. So the difference is, I suppose, 30 years of experience and wisdom and training, not just in NLP, not just in a basic coaching model. Um, also, I, I followed um, and trained with Anthony Robbins at his Life University in 2000. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm always at learning the cutting edge in modern psychology and positive psychology. So my toolkit over these years is pretty huge, Batja. And so I've always got uh, a tool that I can help my client remove some anxiety, remove some worry and get better results for themselves. So I suppose that's what makes me different. And plus, I bring a lot of humor to my work. I really enjoy having fun. It's one of my key values in life. So I really enjoy working with my clients. I get some wonderful clients to work with. I have such, so much fun. And I really think humor is a great thing, you know, not to take ourselves too seriously. Fantastic. So Mary, you spent 22 years in corporate. Um, how did you find adjustment? Now you're an entrepreneur, mm. you're, you're a business owner. How did you find the adjustment and how do you now enjoy working for yourself? So I started my original company back in uh, 17 years ago. I always had that yearning that I knew I wanted to do something myself. I, I was one of those people that went for their performance reviews within a corporate environment, always got fabulous results, sometimes better results than you know a lot of my peer group. But I was sort of given the feedback once, um, just before I started my own business, it was a great bit of feedback to receive because it gave me the catapult to go and do what I wanted to do. I said, Mary, you're getting fantastic results. You know, I was working for BMW at the time and you're getting some really great results. You know, people love working with you. They have fun, they, they're getting, achieving, they're making more sales, they're making more businesses, are improving. But it sort of felt that you sort of plough your own furrow. And that was saying as a negative. And I thought, well, that's who I am. I do things my way. I love 
working with people, but I really know the way I do things and my own methodology now for all these years makes such a difference. So that was the spur to go and start my own business and I literally left corporate employment with two days work in my diary. Wow. Yeah, I took that step and I told myself I've got to do it. I came to a certain age in my life too and I thought if I don't do it now, when am I going to do it? I'm just going to try it for a year. So I took some money from my mortgage and to buffer me for that year and I said to yes to any opportunity that came my way and I've never ever regretted one day of being self-employed. Yes, there's highs and lows, of course, you know, and I've had to start my business three times. I started it in the UK, mm. I moved to Sweden 18 months later and lived there for four years, had to start my business again and then in Singapore I had to start my business from scratch again because obviously my client base was based predominantly in Europe at that time. And yeah, not regretted today, not regretted today of doing that. Incredibly brave. Yes. <laughs> so, so what advice would you give to um, someone who's in corporate and got this yearning to become an entrepreneur? What, what wise words would you give them? It's a very good question. So what I did do, because I had this like, whisper, you know, we have a whisper, don't we? <laughs> and sometimes we ignore those whispers and those whispers keep coming until they bang us on the head and I eventually had that bang on the head and this is the whisper. But meanwhile, I'd been sort of thinking, if I were to have my own business, I really need to get some credibility behind me. Although I was very highly endorsed in the corporate world. I mean, I was the first female coach for BMW and actually got a trophy at that time in those days to uh, as, as an award. Um, so I knew that um, I was very accredited, but that was underneath working with other brands. I need to get it under the Mary Barrett brand. So I did lots of pro bono work. I really did work with lots of people to just test out for myself too, to prove that I can do it outside under my own name. So that's the first thing, you know, and it's called sometimes called a side hustle. So do yeah. something while you're actually employed. So it's safe, it's secure, you're not taking any financial risk. So you can build up a side hustle, but it'll come to a day when you need to take that step. And I say start before you're ready because you'll never be ready. There's no such thing as perfection. You can never stack it up. You've got to have faith in yourself, have belief in yourself. Worst case scenario, you go get another job. And that's what I told myself. I'm going to give myself a year to experiment and to play. If it doesn't work out, then I go and get another job. So just give yourself permission to make that step. But set yourself up for success by practicing and playing out with it first. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you. So Mary, you're also a mother to two young children. Um, entrepreneur, business owner. Um, I'm going to ask a controversial question, and actually, I'm not sure if anyone would ask this to a man, but I'm going to ask about the work-life balance. Um, is there such a thing as, as work-life balance for, for working mothers, or is it work-life integration, or just throw it out the window? <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. I think it's very rare a man is asked that question, but I think it's a valid question because people need to know, how do you do it? One, I'm a progressionist, not a perfectionist. So there is no thing as perfection because if you always wait for things to be perfect, you're going to be continually unhappy because it doesn't exist. So, you know, becoming a mother is a very different step. And in fact, it's such a different step. It's one of the sort of areas that I specialize in, in master mums. Because once you become a master mum and you're working full time or part time and have a family, your whole life does change. So you are fighting for balance and, and trying to make things um, work for everybody. And you know, I really think as the mum, as the family, even though we've got some great husbands out there who do loads and loads of, loads of work and support, I think of us as a mobile phone. And as a mum as a mobile phone, if our battery's low, 
we're no good to anybody. So we need to plug ourselves in. And I think, you know, if we think about as being a mum as well and a working mum as a mobile phone, how many apps are we running all the time in the background that's draining our battery? We're thinking about what do we need to organise for dinner? We're thinking about what the kids' latest play date is. We're thinking about what the dress up at school is. What about the homework? Calling our sick parents in, in, in different places around the world. Making sure we've got the birthday present for the party our children are going to at the weekend. Plus our work projects, which can be numerous, numerous, numerous. So as a working mum, I think we've got many applications that's drawing on our battery. So I really believe that we've got to plug ourselves in first because we are the oxygen of the family. So we are the battery of the family. So I'm very disciplined. And I, you know, if my cup is empty, I, I can't help anyone else. So I have to fill my cup. So the things I do is on a daily basis are things like yoga, meditation, or ex some sort of exercise. I eat nutritionally. I'm a, I'm a vegetarian. I do eat some fish too, but I really eat nutritionally to give myself energy. I um, really think about being in the now as much as I can, not thinking about the past, not thinking about the future and enjoying luxurious moments. So I'm, as, as every, every human being, you know, I'm a work in progress, but I really proactively work to fill my cup and my battery so I can help not just my family, but others more. And, you know, I'm human, I have good days and bad days, but in the main, if I do my rituals, if I do my exercise first thing in the morning, if everything else goes wrong, at least I've, I've looked after myself and my body, which is, you know, our body and our mind are our vehicles for life. So any investment that we can give to ourselves pays dividend not just in our family unit but for our businesses and our life too. So you say you should factor in a bit of self-care every day? A hundred percent. Every day. You wouldn't, you wouldn't not charge your mobile phone. You wouldn't yeah. not do that. So why would you not charge yourself? Good. Excellent. Thank you. Talk about mobile phones. <laughs> <laughs> Being a mother, I, I personally find probably, probably the most challenging job in the world. Technology um, and kids is adding a whole another level. What are your thoughts on tech and kids, screen time, monitoring, managing? How do you, how do you cope? I think it's a very, very, very valid, valid point. The biggest growing addiction is to devices and children are starting younger and younger. Um, you know, the great news is the technology is wonderful. We, the kids get so much access to stuff that we never had, and it's used so much in schools. I think schools should be educating our children around this. I think it should be a subject matter, how to manage technology in our lives, because they're growing up with it more than ever we did. I read a book called The Art of, um, the Art of Screen Time. Okay. And so what the message in that book was really, yes, it's, it's a modern day requirement, but not how long are they on there for, but what are they using it for? Fantastic. So I don't believe in the only game that my children are allowed, and then nine and 10, only game they're allowed to use at the moment is um, Minecraft. So that's very you know educational, it's using your imagination, it's growing, it's learning, but no other games are allowed. And we have to proactively, um, particularly with my son more than my daughter, proactively monitor the time that he's on screen time. Um, so we have, rules and regulations around that um, and certainly no like at least sort of 30 minutes or so before bedtime to get them off those screens to help them get a better deeper sleep which is they need for their to build in their immune system so i think it's again a work in progress and we're all learning about this the one thing i have learned though very much as a mother is children do what you do not what you say 
So if, I, if I'm on my mobile phone, if I'm on a device, then they say, well, how comes you're doing it, mummy? So I have to be very vigilant and very hard on myself and make sure that I'm putting the phone down, I'm locking it away, that I'm being 100% present with them when they need me um, and at other times too, because they do, they follow what you do. Exactly, you've got to be a role model. Correct. You've got to walk the talk. Correct, yeah, yeah. So in today's digital world and, and the way I think education has changed mm. um, from when we went to university, what do you think future of the children generation um, what do you think the future is going to be like for them and what's important for them to be learning? Uh, great question, Bacha. The fundamental thing that children need to learn is the emotional intelligence. You know, with AI coming in, you know, computers will read x-rays, computers will re read law reports, people, uh, um, computers will, will read a, a, a book of accounts. So a lot of that's going to be taken over with AI. So they need to be aware of the technology, but it's the human skills that are going to be the critical ones that are needed. You know, have I got empathy? Can I communicate? Can I self-regulate? What self-awareness have I got? How's my social networking? Because, you know, I really believe people make the world go round and they will still keep the world go round. We haven't got a robot yet that has emotions. So I think for me, certainly for my children, is to understand themselves and others and what drives their behavior and have an empathy for other people's behavior and kindness. Kindness, compassion, compassion for themselves and for other people and embracing diversity. That's what people will need. And I, I believe that's the, the, the careers that the children will have. Even if you want to go into medicine, it'll be your, your patient-doctor relationship that's going to be important. If you're going to be a lawyer, if you're a barrister, you're going to need to have communication skills. If you're going to be account an accountant and want to attract clients, it's going to be about how do you build your client base and have that relationship with your clients. So anything around people and your own EQ is going to be even more critical than ever before, is my belief. Amazing, fantastic. And you're right, the skills that cannot be done by robots, Correct. cannot be done by artificial intelligence. How can you differentiate yourself and give yourself a future job. That's right. I mean, you think about it, we're, we're both in the people business. Right. You know, you're, you happen to be about um, helping people's wealth, I help people's mindset, but actually it's our relationship with our clients that we get all the recommendations and get all the successes because we connect with people. We, we're just doing different products. Okay. So if you've got those rapport building skills, those relationship skills, that understanding and empathy, the product is actually immaterial. I mean, you've got a passion for finance, why you're so successful. I've got a passion for human behavior, which is why I'm so successful. But it's actually, we're really interested in people and helping them and serving them. So if you can serve people, other people more, you know, it's what you love to do, the passion, your skill set, and you can serve others, you'll be successful. Fantastic. So Mary, let's, let's look back at 2020. Um, last year was a, a very interesting year and very challenging for many people, specifically for expats, um, being away mm. from their family. Um, how did you and your family cope um, being so far away from your family? And, and, and what is your outlook for, for this year? It's been a very unique and rare year, definitely 2020 was. Um, and if you look at the stats and the research, the lack of community and tribe can have a massive impact on people's mental health and mental well-being. And Johan Hari does a lot of work in this area. And it's a lot of the, a lot of the clients that came to me who either through, through a separation, through the COVID-19, or had a realization that actually um, 
I want to do something different now. I've realized what's really important to me. So it's been a wake-up call for a lot of people as well. But the people who, who suffered, use the word suffered the most, I think the people who lived on their own because yeah. they didn't have that intimate relationship or family or friends or even their work community or tribe wasn't available for them. So I think as, as expats, we have learned to live with that. We haven't got our aunts and uncles and our cousins and our grandparents down the road. So in one way, we're used to not having that. I think we've all, there's been some grief, some genuine grief about missing, missing seeing our relatives in this last 12, 18 months, which again, maybe is gonna carry on too. So it's acknowledging that and having an awareness that it's okay to be sad about it, acceptance that that's just the way it is and um, you know, action of hoping that we can change things. But you know, thank goodness for technology. <laughs> thank goodness for Zoom calls and WhatsApp and FaceTime and all these things that we didn't have years ago. That we've been able to at least see our, our family and friends even though we haven't been able to touch them. And it's interesting because we've been told we've had to be socially distanced. But no, we don't need to be socially distanced. We need to be physically distanced. And there's quite a differentiation in, in those words. And so as a family, yes, we've missed not going to Europe this year. We've kept in contact. But I think one of the byproducts is a lot of families like our own have got closer because we've spent more time with each other. And my, my husband um, traditionally has worked sort of worked away. You know, it's one of the reasons we live in Singapore, that they can, you know, we work so globally here 60% of the time. Well, he's been at home now, so he's been able to be around the children a lot more. So that's been great for him and great for, for them too. Um, and I think there has been some gifts of COVID too. And I think when we look back in history, it'd be really interesting in 100 or 200 years time, what people look back and this blip in our lifetime of how it will actually have panned out. But I think it's a way of, a realize, I think it's been a year of realization. Yeah, I agree. And, and looking at your values and oh, thinking about what's important correct. to you and mm. being grateful for what you have in life. Absolutely, absolutely. So this year, 2021, is hopefully going to be a year of hope, opportunity, and optimism. Any parting wise words of advice for our listeners on how to bounce back and surge forward? <laughs> <laughs> that bounce back ability, I call it, that resilience muscle. We've certainly had a lot of opportunity to learn resilience this year, haven't we? You know, I think the most important thing is be compassionate and kind to yourself. Measure progress, not perfection. Measure progress. When you think about 2020, how many firsts have you done in 2020 that you would never thought you had to do, but you've done it? And reward yourself for that. Acknowledge that. Because what you appreciate, appreciates. What you appreciate, appreciates. So just measure your progress. I personally, one of the tools I use throughout 2020 and I continue to, to use is the WWW what went well and why. So on a daily basis, I write down what went well and why. Because what we focus on, we attract. So energy flows where attention goes. So every day I'm programming myself for looking for what went well and why. So I find a minimum of five things that I can actually write in my journal on a daily basis to remind myself, even though some things don't always go my way, I can always find five things that have gone my way and I'm measuring my progress. Oh, I love that. WWW, something on my to-do list. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Mary. It was delightful having you here today. Um, so many wise words and um, I really enjoyed having you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolute pleasure, Batcha. And it's a wonderful to be connected with you in Singapore. Thank you. Thank you.